Three times a ditch cry. <laughs> Hello, you are listening to Great Culture, the podcast where we talk about wine, pop culture, and feminism. I'm Kim. I'm Sam. And we hope you enjoy the show. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking about emotional labour, which is a really fun topic that's Yay. definitely not going to cause lots of anger. But before we do that, we have a wine. Sam, you chose the wine this week. I did. What is it? Why is it here? Tell us about it. It's here because we drink wine on this podcast. Um, Wait, no, what? <laughs> what? what? This is brand new information. So as Kim mentioned, the topic is emotional labour. And I figured that this is a topic that's probably going to cause some strong emotions and feelings Ooh. and opinions. So the wine we have to go with that this week is the Full Vine, Full of Rage, Grauburgunder, Grauburgunder 2021, off of Germany. It's an orange wine. I think it's our second, second orange yeah. of the pod. And, you know, I chose it for obvious reasons, given the name. Yeah. The tasting notes for this are as follows. i put that down. Here we have a superb skin contact orange wine. Don't love that. Gross. Not here for that. Uh, made from the Grauburgunder Pinot Gris grape variety. So that's apparently German for Pinot Gris. This is funky but clean. Title of your sex tape. <laughs> with... <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep, that tracks. Good. With an attractive orange character as well as ripe strawberry and a dusting of black cherry fruit, tart and fresh in the mouth with a lick of grip and a waxy mouthfeel, we are head over heels for this wine. So I'm not loving the tasting notes, to be honest. Apparently it's quite dry. Dry and yet fruity. I'm not sure how that tracks. Yeah, there's a lot there to uh, like. And then it throws in words like lick Lick grip. of grip and skin contact. Skin contact. It's, apparently, it's the flavours are aromatic beeswax and orange blossom. So a candle. So a candle. And it pairs well with lamb, souvlaki, couscous, quinoa, bulgur wheat or other grains. Oh, all of my favourites. Yeah, but let's chill. drink it and see how angry it makes us. That's true. That's, That's true. Would you like to do the honours? Sure. Why not? It's quite It's quite dark orange. This, this is a very vibrant wine. It's like a blood orange. It's fucking red. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Up your bum, no babies. Ooh, that um, is... Tastes like Haribo. It does. It also tastes vaguely medicinal. Yes. Yeah, definitely the orangest of the orange wines. This tastes like a drink that they would serve in, like, an old-timey western theme park. <laughs> They're like, this is what they drank in... This is, like, homemade wine. <laughs> Old timey times, fucking moonshine. Is that what? No, you're... but no, but not moonshine. But like, like this is wine made strawberry from... wine and shit. Yeah, yeah, rustic. It it tastes like that. It also tastes like a melted ice lolly. Calippo. Mm-hmm. Mm. Basically, it's undefinable. Yeah, unlike emotional, emotional labour. Labor. Well, you say that, Sam. Now you chose wow. this topic. I did. Would I you did. like to talk about why you chose this topic? <laughs> Because I was feeling very fucking put upon at the time. So, yeah, I chose this topic because it's something that has we've kind of brushed over in various other episodes. And we've also, off podcast, been like, maybe we'll do an episode about that at some point. And I was feeling angry. Uh, <laughs> full of anger. Like, full of rage. Full sorry, of rage. Like, it's fine. And I thought this would be a good time to talk about emotional labour, how it presents, what the fuck it is, how it plays into, or whether it plays into gender roles and other things like that. So that's what I thought we could talk about on the show today. Excellent. And so, what is emotional labour, Sam? 
What is it? Emotional labour to me is the taking on of other people's emotional well-being in a certain situation. So the definition, when I looked it up, is very kind of workplace focused. Mm. It's all about roles in which you have to present or create a certain emotional atmosphere in order to make people feel a certain way. Uh, Usually that is, you know, making them feel happy, making them feel safe, whatever. Some of the roles it talked about were like Mm. customer service and things like that. So it's being the person who is responsible for setting the emotional tone for others Mm -hmm. is what I've taken from it. What do you think it is? Yeah, I think that when I think of emotional labour, I also think of invisible labour and I kind of combine the two. Yeah. Which there is the emotional labour, like you say, the, the regulating of your emotion and taking on the thinking about the feelings in the room mm-hmm. or the feelings in a scenario and and taking on other people's emotions as part of your decision-making process or part of your... I think that there is also, when I talk about the invisible labour, it's, it's a lot of like what we talked about with The Change by Bridget Christie. The... The thought process, again, it's all about doing the work behind the scenes, the thought processes and the thinking behind the scenes that makes something get done. Yeah. So it's not the act of doing, it's all the planning and all the thinking mm. and all the preempting before the doing. Yeah. So it's, for me, emotional labour and invisible labour are, are not synonymous, but very closely linked. There's a Venn diagram. And yeah. There, yeah. And that it's about kind of, okay, well, you've, someone's made a decision, for example, let's have a meeting on a Friday. And you're the one thinking, okay, well, Susan doesn't work on Fridays, so is she going to feel left out? And, well, I know that, you know, like, Helen likes to leave early on Friday so that she can pick up the kids. And John hates meetings on Fridays because it interrupts, you know, like his family time with his wife or whatever. And so on and so forth and thinking about all of that and then being like, this is how we make this happen. Kind of beating them to that punches or in a, in a less workplace environment. It's the, I want to have like, you know, we want to have a family dinner with all the family, but who's not going to sit next to who and what do we have to plan for and who doesn't like this kind of wine and who doesn't like this kind of meal and how, who has to be invited first because they might get pissy if they found out they were invited second. Yeah. So it's kind of it's the preemptively managing people's emotions and absorbing people's emotions in order to achieve something that sh- seems simple. Yeah. Very good point. I think I think though that it's not even just preemptive. It's preemptive. It's during and it's after mm-hmm. an event or a, mm-hmm. a situation as well. Like it's you can perform emotional labour, I mm-hmm. guess, at any point in that process. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. I do think that there is the workplace side of things is very strong and given what I do I'm very familiar with that but I also think that the idea that how you act in your job is completely separate to any other behavior that you might have in your life is nonsense so I do think that it's applicable in other stages of life it's just Mm. that we give it a different term and that's where you get like invisible labor yeah very fair point and invisible labor tends to kind of cross over also into the manual quote-unquote labor Mm -hmm. as well so they are Different, but this different, but the same. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think that both have like gender attributions towards them, but I think invisible labour tends to be very much prescribed to a heteronormative monogamous relationship. 
So usually we're thinking married couples and normally it's the woman performing that invisible labour. Not always, and I, you know, like not 100%, but that's definitely how it's presented and how it's sold to us, as it were. And that is the way we looked at it in in the episode on the change as well. And likewise, emotional labour does tend to have that binary of it being women in a workplace who are performing most of that emotional labour. Although I don't think that that's strictly true and obviously... I, we try to take into account more than just the gender binary here, but generally speaking, that's how it. That's how the the term has been coined and yeah. how it has been explored. So, why do you think it is by or, but you know, stringent definitions of the term? Why do you think it's tied to workplace and professional labour rather than necessarily recognising the domestic, personal, social side of social, it? Yeah. yeah. I think, for one part, I think a lot more studies and a lot more history have been done on, like, workplace behaviours than social behaviours. And social behaviours are less controlled. Mm -hmm. The the history of industry and the workplace, while not completely homogenous, has followed a more traditional pattern or followed, like, most industries follow, have followed a similar pattern for the last couple of hundred years, certainly in the Western world. And even and even beyond that, in that you would have a boss, an employee, meetings or processes that need to be followed or decisions that need to be made and products being made and stuff like that. Whereas what and whatever form that looks in and however that might have changed and certainly has changed massively in the last 30 years, but even I mean, in the last three years, but whereas social the exploration of social studies and stuff is so so broad and what social means it's a lot harder to do basically because one person's social activity isn't is not going to be the same as the next person's so that's one reason why i think it's it's mostly done in work i also think that most of these you know that the toy the the term has been coined i think in the late 20th century early 21st century this coincides with you know the beginning of the 20th century and beyond and the increased presence of women in the labour market with in the professional labour market with voices and the change in the way that labour is done from the traditional factory model of the industrial revolution and and you know merchant pre-industrial revolution to much more people in the workplace people with more voices the rise of feminism suffrage the end of slavery etc so if you look at the state of industry in the 20th century the rapid change and the complete overhaul like someone who was working in 1900 would not recognize industry in 2000 the the changes would be astronomical whereas someone working in 1800 to 1900 it's not that much different yeah it is different don't get me wrong it's quite generalization but the the leap is is further between 1900 and 2000 than it is between 1900 and 1900 and so i think that as all those questions have come to the fore and as you know we've become more global and seen more more different ways and i think that it's particularly born of a post-war world in which women were in and remained in white collar industry and business rather than the the traditional models of of how working class worked it's interesting that it is used in a a professional sense because it seems like everything needs to be much more defined in that sort of setting Mm -hmm. in order to be able to deal with it or to understand it whereas in a 
domestic setting, for example, you don't tend to give names to phenomenons that are happening within your relationship or yeah. your friendship group or things like that. It's much more, I am annoyed about this thing or there's something that's happening and I don't know how to say it. Yeah. And I'm not going to go to a manual to tell me how to express this. Exactly. It's, um, a, it's a much smaller <clears throat> um, pool of key players yeah. in, in a personal environment yeah do you find that do, do you feel like you perform a lot of emotional labor both in and out of the, well you know in, in your life is it something that you deal with a lot i mean a huge amount but in fairness i chose my profession i chose my profession and the way that i do my profession because i care about people's emotions and want to help make things feel good for people and like to make people feel good and like to make working environments be a pleasant place to be so at work i have a huge amount of emotional labor and then in my personal life again i am an i'm an anxious person i'm a person who also really enjoys planning things and stuff but it's a double-edged sword of you're good at something you like doing something people expect you to do it and then it becomes like why haven't you done it? Yeah. And that is definitely prevalent. And I, then I also think managing relationships as a sensitive person in family and friendships, I don't think people realise how much they put on certain people to do that. So I think I have a huge amount, some of it chosen, some of it not. What about you? I mean, you know, it's part of the reason that we're talking about it on the podcast today is because I was like, I'm very angry about having to be the person who does and thinks about all the things. Yeah, I think... It's a strange self-fulfilling prophecy almost where you want people to feel better so you try to make them feel better so they expect you to then make the decisions that, 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 that do the thing and then yeah. you end up doing it all the time and then yeah. you end up feeling like an empty sock. But yeah, no, I definitely feel it. Less so less so professionally these days, but again, new job. Definitely feel it in a family setting. Have felt it in a, in a social, you know, friends and so on setting. I have definitely <laughs> taken a deliberate step back from doing that this year. So I think not everyone takes it on. Not to the same extent. Maybe there are different varieties of, of, of social labour. Yeah. Uh, maybe there are different varieties of emotional labour. But I think that there are people who are kind of magnets for it. Who yeah. Will, who will do it in every sphere of their lives. One place where I, I think that this is most insidious is that there is emotional labor ascribed to you even in kind of like passing casual interactions with people and i think that is particularly gendered yeah so i'm talking you know like if you're in a shop and there's a baby crying on and like you're not allowed to be the one that's angry you're supposed to be like sympathetic or on a plane or something or like you're the one that has to be nice to the not that i wouldn't be nice to a waitress but you're the one that has to be nice to the waitress or you're the one that has to be like patient in the queue or you're the one that has to solve help solve the problem or react to an emergency in in a in a room or anything like that but that kind of thing is is so expected and you feel like to to be a good person in society you're required to do it and now i'm thinking about mrs dalloway but you know that that book i think is a lot about the emotional labor of like being a person Mm. and particularly being a woman and then eventually being like fuck this i've snapped see this is interesting because it's about to talk about the flip side of that which is so you say about you know as a a woman you feel or there is an expectation that female people to be the conciliatory voice to be Mm -hmm. the peacemaker to be the person considering everyone else's feelings 
There's a flip side to that, which is the Karen. Mm. And the Karen is, as a turn, is last sort of five, six years, I reckon, which is this rude, bossy, usually middle-aged slash older Mm. woman who is concerned with herself and entitled. That's, yeah, that's the great word for it. And I think trying to strike a balance between the two things is a really hard how can you be assertive without being a dick and b you know i was gonna say what is the need for balance the balance is don't be rude do you think that there is a reaction of like if a woman refuses to do that or refuses to make way for someone else's emotions then the karen response kicks in do you think that's yeah i mean it's basically the same thing as if you say no then you're a prude if you say yes you're a slut it's the same kind of thing you can't fucking win yeah if you say like if you don't care or if you're annoyed you're a Karen, and if if you do, you're then a you're yeah, you're a doormat. Yeah. I thought that you were going to say that the flip side of um, how male presenting people might carry emotional labour in society, and I think that this is this is something that I have yeah. thought about because if you if you are a good and aware ally and male if you're a male, decent person <laughs> male presenting person in society yeah you come with an awareness that your very presence strikes fear into people in certain situations like walking behind someone in the dark right i see and you're carrying the emotional labor of how to make myself feel like less of a threat because some other twat is a dickhead and you're compensating for their dickheadery yeah exactly yeah. and you and so Not you are yeah you yeah. are you are carrying that and there are other situations but that's the most common one that i experience but there are a lot of other examples of you know the emotional labor of, of if we're talking about needing to be the the peacemaker and the feeling that they need to be standing up for someone, being brave, being the hero, defending people. And I've, I've experienced that. And we're not even touching on race. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to acknowledge that, that there are so, there are so many ways that we carry emotional labour. And I specifically refer to comments about race, which I won't go into because it's not an experience that I've lived, so I can't speak to it. But I recognise that it exists. But we do appreciate that Absolutely this, this is what the experiences we have are not universal mm-hmm. yeah completely agree and there's so many ways that, that it can impact your life without even really realizing until you start thinking about it yeah and yeah it's so it's so interesting that the moment where you start realizing that you're doing it and then you start trying to break away from it i sent you a reel which was <laughs> when, a, when, yeah. a people, when a people <laughs> please start setting boundaries and it's like i totally love to do that but oh I don't. I don't want to. And yeah, I find that a really. It's an interesting exploration. Yeah, the realization of of when you're when you're doing it, and actually the the moment where you start kind of recognizing those behaviors and the stuff, can be quite alarming and quite surprising when you you start to recognize it everywhere. And I think that's one of the more interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. And maybe we should be expanding the definition of emotional labor to be more than workplace, because I think that or encouraging that definition because I think that it is in so many places and probably loads of people are in therapy trying to figure out how to do that yeah and how to get over it but they haven't put a label on it and maybe putting a label on it helps absolutely it's the same thing that burnout is only recognized within the um professional sphere when Mm. burnout can refer to any area of your life if you actually think about it that's so true yeah and where do you get a burnout from sometimes emotional labor so true so we're going to have a break. This is some heavy shit. So we're going to have a small break. We'll be back after the break to talk some more about emotional labour. Do refill your glasses because we certainly will be. 
So we're back from the break. We're still drinking the full of rage <laughs> orange wine. Kim, how are you finding it so far? Still weird, still drinkable. Yeah, same. I feel like I'm, I'm already getting a headache. Yes. Yeah. I, I think because it's... I know it's orange wine, but it's like... Orange wine is like white wine, rose, rose adjacent. And it feels really drinkable. It doesn't feel very alcoholic and it feels kind of like squashy. Yeah. Just with like a weird, slightly bitter aftertaste at yeah. times. Slightly Aperol spritzy. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. Which means that it's really easy to drink, but I'm not necessarily enjoying it. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's good either. We've, uh, we're have we approaching 100 episodes of this podcast and we still don't know what we're talking about with wine. So. Oh my god, are we really? What's going to be our 100th yeah. episode? Okay, well so we should plan something yeah. good for the 100th. If anyone has any suggestions and would like us to do anything in particular for our 100th episode, please get in touch. We are greatculturepodcast at gmail.com. But before we plan our 100th episode, we have to get through this one, which is all about emotional labour. Yes. I have a question for you, Sam. Ooh, okay. Now, I ask you this because I am familiar with the term, but not familiar with the experience. How do you find that emotional labour differs from masking? And for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar, would you be so kind as to define what masking is i would so masking is a term that is used quite a lot quite often in reference to things that neurodivergent behaviors that neurodivergent people exhibit it's used for all kinds of neurodivergent conditions but most commonly i think with autism and adhd and it refers to hiding the behaviors that you would feel that you would naturally exhibit in order to feel more accepted in order to create a persona that is more readily accepted by the people around you Mm -hmm. or that you know society deems more acceptable Mm -hmm. So that can be things like hiding tics, hiding, you know, active listening is a big thing for people with ADHD of like having to performatively listen because people think you're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. People feel they sometimes have to force themselves into situations that they're not actually comfortable with, Mm -hmm. but just because it's expected of them. Um, Learned behaviour as well, I believe, is one of those Learned behaviour, yeah, exactly. Something that doesn't feel natural, but that you have to pick up in response to the social world around mm-hmm. you. You recognise works in particular situations. Exactly, yeah. So so that's masking from my understanding. Um, there may be other experiences and, and definitions that I'm not covering, obviously. And I think there are some crossovers with emotional labour because emotional labour is about considering the emotions of people around you first, like almost prioritising those over your own, mm-hmm. I think, because the labour aspect implies that it is an effort and that it's not a case of like... I'm doing this thing to make other people feel good because it makes me feel good and feel energised and feel better. Mm. Because there are people out there who will do that and there are people for whom it is a it is a lovely thing. And I think both of us ha- have, have known that. ourselves that. Yeah. Where we're like, we've done a lovely thing for people and they liked it. Yay. Yeah. But the labour aspect is, it, it is work. And sometimes you have to contravene your own emotions, your own feelings in order mm. to make someone else feel better or to make someone else feel a certain way and i think that's a big part of what masking is all about so i think that there's there's a crossover i don't think that all emotional labor is masking i don't think that masking is always emotional labor though again coming back to the invisible labor and Mm. emotional labor thing there's a venn diagram where they they cross in the middle but reading about emotional labor i was like but i do that all the fucking time Mm. (laughs) that is my day-to-day and it now has this name which is a what's the word 
corporate ex- corporately accepted mm. uh, word, but as someone who is very used to like putting my own emotions on the back burner, not just in neurodivergence but through various other things as well, it's habit rather than something that I recognise as something that I'm doing. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, and I'm really I'm really interested in that because I do think that you know from the outside it could look like that all masking is emotional labour, and I'm sure that it does all take an emotional toll on you. But yeah. I also know from anecdata that not all people realize that they are masking yeah until suddenly some massive circumstance changes things until they get diagnosed at the age of 31 yeah yeah or (laughs) or even not diagnosed but some circumstance changes for example the behavior that they have been masking with is no longer applicable because they are in a different environment and it no longer lands and then they realize oh that's what i was doing i thought that that was just what i liked to do or what was the right thing to do and i'd learned to do it yeah but then you realize that oh actually you'd adapted to make yourself fit into the environment that you were in just to jump in there as well i think there's a lot of there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of things that people have said to me around like Why are so many people being diagnosed as neurodivergent? This is a slight tangent, but it is related. Mm. So why are so many people being, or especially women, being diagnosed as neurodivergent or neurodiverse now? Is it a fad? Is it a trend? And I think it comes down to, a lot of it comes down to lockdown, Mm. where people who are so used to this kind of emotional labour masking being, let's say, a form of that, Mm. being used to being in an office or in a work environment five days a week, whatever, that this is just their, their go, this is how they respond, this is their, what they felt was their natural state, possibly. Mm-hmm. And then you get put into a lockdown situation where you are not being confronted with people, where you're in your own space. You don't have to, yes, you have calls and whatever, but you don't have to perform mm. in the same way. And you realise that there's a disconnect. And mm. I think there's a lot to be said for the effects of lockdown making people confront things that they possibly didn't confront before. And I think that's a big part of why people are being diagnosed so much now, because they know so much more about what is comfortable Mm -hmm. as a reaction and what is performative. And I think emotional labour is also part of that. Like the reason that it's becoming more and more of a phrase that is recognised now or that people understand is because it feels much harder now that we've had this almost factory reset of mm. like two years of lockdown. That's such an interesting way to put it, factory reset. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's so interesting. And I think that like on top of that, again, this is just from anecdotal, not yeah. from my personal lived experience, but there's there's two sides to that. Where it's not a factory reset, it's almost like an operating system upgrade where you suddenly have to learn a bunch mm. of new things mm-hmm. and new ways of doing stuff. And it almost sets you back and you're like, why am I struggling now? Yeah. That's another reason why yeah. not just women, but a lot of women have suddenly identified that they may have been masking because it was a learned behaviour. But also predating lockdown, a reason why I think that both of these things are true, that this increase of particularly, I think, women or female presenting people who have been treated as as women in in their childhood being diagnosed is that it's the the increase in awareness of a how the diagnosis differs between genders because there's been more exploration of different genders but also b the allowing for people to step out to color outside the lines essentially means that where previously you thought you were just a nice little girl Mm -hmm. 
now you know that you were performatively well performing a behavior in yeah. order to be accepted by your family in a chaotic environment that for you felt overstimulating and i say you in this situation because i'm looking into your eyes but also i know that look this into is, my eyes but i also know that this is true elsewhere and yeah. when i say i know this is true elsewhere i don't know this for certain by my own First experience hand, but, you know but i read yeah. a shit ton yes. <laughs> and i care about these things in the people in the professional environment both yeah. the people environment just because i care about people and i am interested in the world and i like to understand other things but also my professional environment neurodiversity in the workplace is a huge thing at the moment yeah but it's also a very important thing to me mm. as part of my well-being but it's interesting what you said about like the you know the little girls who've had to mask this because I was having a conversation with a teacher friend of mine not that long ago and he said something about how boys are fucking dicks like (laughs) essentially (laughs) he teaches primary school and was like yeah you know they're they're exhausting they're they're a lot they play up all the time and then he's like I went to the girls school which was you know twinned with with the boys school he's like they were so calm they were so nice and then I said to him it's like are they calm or have they been told that they have to be calm? Have mm. they learnt this behaviour because they've been told it's more desirable in mm. girls than in the boys? Mm. And he was like, shit, I don't know. Is this instilled in us from such a young age? Not just a behavioural thing, but the consideration for other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. Is that instilled in us from childhood? Yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think the full phrase goes something along the lines of boys will be boys but girls should be ladies which makes me angry and then of course you've got sugar and spice and all things nice that's what little girls are made of get fucked absolutely get fucked <laughs> just as I was saying that I was watching my cat climb into your bag <laughs> I, I, like, I genuinely um, left my bag open because I know she likes my bag she so really like, does love bags yeah. and specifically backpacks belonging yeah. to my female friends <laughs> I don't know it's just a thing her face is in there She's fully in there. Having a great time. Yeah. No emotional labour from her. No. She didn't give a shit. No. But yeah, we absolutely are conditioned from childhood as women to perform emotional labour or, and or by association, mask any neurodivergent tendencies. And it is absolutely true that there is a greater number of late in life diagnoses of women for autism, ADHD and other conditions because of the fact that either it's overlooked because the males in the class or the things were essentially stealing focus. Mm -hmm. It was understudied, underlooked at. We've talked before, we talked on the episode with Tiff from Crime and Dine and Trend Lightly about the way that diagnoses were made against the ideal of a man's body and therefore the, the different ways in which things affect women haven't been taken into consideration until like literally the last 10 years or something ridiculous like that so yeah it is absolutely true that's not to say that there is not emotional labor that is also taught to men yeah absolutely and i think that the flip side is as i mentioned earlier the idea that you need to be brave you need to be strong like boys don't cry big boys don't cry it's a suppression rather than it's suppression rather than absorbing absorbing absorption and that has that leads to spikes in male suicide rates yeah and the lack of emotional availability and the fact that men don't learn to communicate their feelings until they're in their mid-30s which is also why you get older men you know men marrying later and 
etc 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 now i'm just getting into a fucking macy peters album and it's all good <laughs> everything's fine it's fucked is the short of it the system is fucked we can finish the podcast i think on like the entire podcast not just this episode <laughs> just the tagline oh. great culture the system is fucked the system is fucked so we've talked a bit about you know some of the signs of feeling emotionally responsible feeling like you're taking things on how do you think you can recognize it and respond to it before it becomes burnout before it becomes you know overwhelm all these kind of negative associations that come with taking other people's feelings on because it's fucking tiring and it's a lot of work yeah what can you do it's a good question. Practical tips, Kim, oh as God. someone who does it all the time. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> well, right. First We're going to top up. You're going to drink. You're going to start a wine podcast with your best friend. Start a wine um, with your podcast <laughs> with your best friend. Get shit faced on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Big beats are the best. Get high all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Nailed it. Self-awareness is not healing. However, being self-aware in these situations helps. Being able to identify your emotions versus other people's emotions and being able to recognise your emotions. So the first thing you need to do is have a good conversation with your inner self and make sure that you are you are understand your own emotions and you understand. I think one of the things that's really helped me has been therapy, specifically yeah. cognitive behavioural therapy. Cognitive torture, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. One of the best things that I've done for myself. But I think, you know, for some people that looks different and mindfulness gets a, gets a mindfulness, like, kind of... Gets a hippie rap. <laughs> gets a hippie rap, but, it, it like, mindfulness and self-awareness they go hand in hand. It is acting on your awareness of self. It is being aware, but also taking that into consideration. It's yeah. not It's not enough to just know why you're making the decision. You also have to then bring that to making the decision. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are many different ways that that looks like. One of them is journaling, which I think helps a lot of people. Mm-hmm. One of them is simply boundaries are huge and very difficult to make. But even setting little ones helps you set the bigger ones. And I think the, the simplest thing you can do is carve out time in your day to reflect on the decisions that you made in that day or the or the feelings that you were having and be like, how much of this is how I feel? Yeah. How much of this is what I've absorbed that day? And then take that learning into the next day and start to use that to set those boundaries. I think that's nice. one of the best things that you can do. Uh, I also think from a professional standpoint... Know what your fucking job description is. And if someone is asking you to do something outside of your job description and it's not in, you're not a manager and it's not in your remit, you still bring emotions to work. You also expect this of other people. So don't completely poo-poo it and don't completely write it off. Emotional labour can be a very valuable tool and it can be a very rewarding experience. But know where you have in your remit to be like this is just not my fucking problem or if it's becoming your fucking problem you should be seeking and be being given the tools to deal with that training courses like one-to-ones coaches mentors pay rises yeah if you are doing a wealth of emotional labor for your colleagues that usually is expected of a managerial position such as performing essentially one-to-ones or taking on the emotional labor of a team yeah you should be being apt- aptly rewarded for it but you should also be being trained for it i really recommend mental health first aid training yeah i really recommend taking difficult conversation courses this is the one thing that i recommend to anyone who has any kind of people responsibility whether that be managers senior team leads etc 
difficult conversation training is one of the best things that you can do for yourself because that really helps you control the impact of that emotional labor on you if you're choosing to take that on which you will be because you probably like your job and you probably like the fact that you're trying to help your colleagues it's still going to have a drain on you difficult conversations training will really really help you with that yeah really good those are a couple of my suggestions they're very work focused i think in 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 many ways or therapy focused sam what about you very very valid particularly from a work perspective i think sometimes you feel like the way to help someone or the way to make someone feel better is to sort of absorb things like a sponge mm-hmm. certainly i feel that way and i think you feel that way yeah. as well it's to be like give me all your trauma and i'll just <laughs> mind vice and the mind vice doesn't work and then you mm-hmm. cry in a ditch mm-hmm. so i mean god guys one time yeah three times three times a ditch cry <laughs> <laughs> but understanding that you are not a sponge that Mm -hmm. no one should be a sponge is Mm -hmm. really important and that you have to have an outlet and i think having an outlet that is agreed whether that is like i know on certain terms like a therapist is a great Mm -hmm. shout like you said a mental health first aider even a manager that you have said you know i need to vent vent download this information whatever Mm -hmm. um is really important because there's an expectation, I think, when you are this person to take everything on yourself and it's not realistic mm-hmm. because you'll you'll have an aneurysm and die. That those are the stats. Sorry. That's that's just how yeah. it works, yeah. But you have to vent and you have to but you within certain parameters because you can't you can't just shift the the labour on someone else. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way to do it in a sustainable way. I think also as well, you know, this I think this is very similar to what you just said of like being realistic with yourself about what you can actually take on, mm-hmm. what you can confront if someone is having a difficult time or if someone is in need of emotional support and you really can't do it then you have to be you have to be realistic it, and yeah say, i'm sorry i can't do this here is what i can do for you yeah. within the realistic scope of my role my time my personality, personality my everything else that's fine as mm-hmm. i think as long as you and, you know, you might worry about, like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm failing or I'm not doing this. But if you are doing something, it doesn't matter how small it is, as long as you are acknowledging it and saying, I'm sorry, you're... Yeah. Even, even, I'm sorry you're dealing with this. Yeah. That shit. Recognising your limitations is not failing. No. And I think that that's... What you said there about being a sponge is really important. Like, it's not on you mm. to absolutely absorb every single thing. And even, you know, and I... One of my most used phrases at work is, I'm not a therapist. Yeah. And I am nor am I a mental health professional. I can direct you to a therapist or a yeah. mental health professional. I can help you find what you yes. need. And that is but my I job. Am not what that you is need. my job. And I think it's good to have people this goes to your point, to share your things with, but it's good to establish your boundaries with those yeah. people. Yeah. Sam and I have this relationship. We will send each other messages, we will be like, I this this is me venting, this is me asking for solutions, this is me needing comfort. Yeah. Do you have the capacity to or do that? Or this is just, I need to do a word vomit out of yeah, my mouth. Yeah, I need to, you don't, you don't need to, to respond. respond. And do you have the capacity to do this? I have this relationship with other people as well, in yeah. different, for the various different things that we do. Yeah. It doesn't completely cure the fact that you're taking on that concern and that worry, but it does mean that you are setting the expectations of what you expect from that person or what they can expect from yeah. you. That's really important. Finding someone that you can communicate yeah. clearly with and recognising that you do not have to be... You're not the only person in anyone's life. Yeah. If you are, there are numbers you can call. Yeah. And your your value should not rest on what you can give them in emotional mm-hmm. 
well-being, time, whatever, your value is as, a, as an all-round person. And if you feel like your value does rest on that, then taint a friendship, man, yeah. buddy. Um, and if it, you should, should be being recompensed yourself. in that some way yeah. for that which it should never be yeah make your friends pay for your therapy but, no but it should yeah. never be entirely one-sided you should never feel like you are your only value to anyone is what you can give them yeah and it's such it's such an overused cliche but it stands up which is the whole put oxygen mask on first before you help others. Absolutely. And that's so because... true. Well, you might find it difficult if you recognise that you are taking on emotional labour at work. That yeah. you think you are being given unfairly. And I'm using specifically at work. Because with friends it's a little bit trickier to... Or social situations it's a little bit trickier Hard to, to navigate, navigate those yeah. things. And I think... Because the parameters aren't as clear. Yeah, the parameters aren't clear. But you should f- hopefully feel with your friends comfortable enough to say... I don't want to do this. And, you can, and I recommend a bottle of wine or... A, you know like a, a box of donuts and be like look this is how i'm feeling this is what i can do let's talk this about is like do. is anyone else feeling this this is what i'm feeling yeah what's our mileage with each other that's easier to do with friends yeah. in a work situation you have that added aspect of like if i refuse to do this am i therefore going to be fired fired knocked down my performance review is going this is why i say check your job description but also i think establish that communication with your manager an HR person, a trusted person in the company that yeah. you can respect. And genuinely failing that, if you do not have that person, ACAS is free. And if you're yeah. in the UK, they are absolutely a resource to be like, I feel like I am being asked to do more than is in my job description and it is having a negative effect on my mental health. What can I do? They might not be able to give you the answers, but at least you have someone to talk to. There are a lot of different resources there. I will probably send Sam a couple of numbers to put in the show notes for this episode for just res- like difficult conversations, resources, etc. Great, but thank you. And do not, yeah, like it's hard to say no in a work environment, but if you have the right contract and if you have your job description and you have the right numbers, you are well within your rights to say no and a good company will care and if it's not a good company, run. Leave, there are other places out there. Yeah, all all great advice. So that brings us to the end of the show this week. But before we go, we have our usual rating of the wine. We're not going to rate emotional labour because <laughs> thumbs down. <laughs> Grapes down, thumbs down, whatever. But we have... Raisins? <laughs> It'd be raisins if we were rating. It would be raisins. It would be negative grapes. Yeah, so negative yeah, raisins. grapes, raisins. Yeah. But we don't, we're not doing that. So we're going to rate the full of rage orange wine. The, the Grauburgunder. Oh, just, that's really fun. Grauburgunder! <laughs> <laughs> oh, rolls off the tongue. Tongue, tongue. Got a butterfly on it. It's well pretty. Yeah. Kim, what were your thoughts? Got heartburn here. Yeah. The longer mm, we drank it. Yeah. My thoughts are: I'm re- still really confused by this wine. It's tasty, but it has a bitter aftertaste. It's drinkable, but I didn't love it. It's not. Yeah, it's not mouth coaty, but it's not. It's not sharp. Yeah, that's it. It's not. Sh- it's mouth. It's not mouth coaty, but it's not sharp. It's just. It's a wine of contradictions or nothingness. It's like a void of wine. The void of wine. I guess I'm going to give it a 2.5. Would you like to know the price? Yes. How much do you think? £26. £30. Oh, no. Does that affect your That rating? really does. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it might. I thought it might. I'm going to give it 2. <laughs> yeah. 
kind enough. of like how I feel about two great books where it's like, well, I finished it, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't enjoy, enjoy it. it. <laughs> and I wanted to stop, but I had to keep going for reasons. Yeah, I think I'm going to go two grapes. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I do not think it was worth the money at all. I was full of hope for the full of rage, mm. considering the title was so perfect for this episode. I didn't love it, and I don't think I would have it again. It was sort of strange. Yeah, it was strange. <laughs> it was strange. And a bit like some of the kind of the organic wines that we've had that have been a bit... Like, it was like the Vice Yeah, that I know had. exactly Bers- what you mean. Riesling. Didn't love it. I'm going to go 2.5. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget, we'll be back in two weeks for a brand new episode. It's going to be a period episode, by which we mean it's going to be historical and not menstrual. So do Who knows? Who we knows? haven't watched it yet. Could be both. So come back in two weeks' time for a brand new episode. In the meantime, check us out on social media. We are on Instagram, at Great on Twitter. Possibly the other way around. I've had a bottle of wine and I can't remember. <laughs> and we also have a website, which is greatculturepodcast.co.uk. And you can get in touch with recommendations for our 100th episode coming up at greatculturepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Oh, 100 episodes. That's so exciting.